Did you know that every person in the Bible that is introduced on a platform of influence, destiny, and purpose before God and man will be introduced in the Bible through a resume that qualifies them for what they are doing. You know why this is done? It is to help us understand, first of all, that no one gets a free pass to destiny. And also, the Bible wants us to learn why they were chosen, why such great responsibility and destiny was entrusted to the hands of that individual. Let me explain. When a world-renowned dignitary is presented to an audience to speak or to share, there is a protocol before that presentation that will qualify that individual for what he is about to say. So when we see the Bible's introduction of an individual, the Bible also is going to give us the qualification for exaltation into greatness. Hi, I'm Dr. Michelle Corral. And today, my dear brothers and sisters, I want to introduce to you one of the greatest biblical resumes that is in the Bible concerning a person of influence, one of the greatest liberators and emancipators of all time. I want you to see how the Bible introduces the world to the Moses miracle. Today, as we study the Moses miracle, you will learn how God selects and God elects his servants for every generation. I pray that today, by listening to this, this teaching, you will be able to discern your destiny and you can ask yourself the question, have I been destined to be a deliverer in my generation? Is God calling me to also emancipate and liberate individuals in my generation like he did Moses? Today, we will talk about how God will raise you up in destiny and in influence for every every person that is called of God. Now, beloved, before we do this, I want to invite you to mydayofdestiny.com where you can purchase my new book, Secrets of the Anointing, and also other ministry products as well as all of the episodes that we have recorded concerning Day of Destiny. Now, let's go to today's teaching and get ready for God to prepare your platform and open the doors of destiny in your life. The slavery narrative of the book of Exodus is going to introduce to us the emancipator, the liberator, God's chosen man who was chosen before the foundations of the world to release the B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, out of their bondage and captivity out of Egypt. Today, as we study God's word, 
in the midst of the slavery narrative. Now remember, the Bible did not write a narrative so that you know it happened. That is not the reason for biblical history. The Bible writes a narrative for us to be able to teach us biblical values, to be able to show us, in this case, heaven's outrage, heaven's absolute objection, to object to a people being enslaved, to a people losing their human dignity, to a people being socially stigmatized and ostracized in the ancient caste system of the Egyptian empire. The scripture is going to show us how Pharaoh prepared a plan, a programmatic plan of programmatic genocide, not just to enslave the people for 400 years with physical bondage. We must understand that Pharaoh had a plan of psychological bondage where he would enslave the people of God and hold their destinies hostage for 400 years. First of all, let us look how the narrative begins in Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says here, in Exodus 1, verse 1. Now these are the names of the children of Israel. Every man with his household came to Jacob. Now why is the Bible beginning to tell us these are the names? Is this some boring piece of Hebrew history so that we have to memorize the names and that somehow memorizing the names is going to make us some type of biblical computer genius? Or... Is the Bible teaching us something about the dignity of the human person? Is God going to tell us these are people with names? These are people with destinies. Yes, you see their difficulty. Yes, you see their heartache. You see their wrenching sorrow. But the Bible wants us to meet these people, which are called to be a people of greatness. God wants us to meet them by their names. Do you know why, beloved? Because the Imahot, the mothers, and the Avot, the fathers, named them according to their destinies. You see, beloved, the Bible does not want us to be associated by our difficulty. The Bible calls us to be identified through our destinies. So no matter how difficult the circumstance is, no matter how deep the trial or the tribulation is, God wants you to know that heaven does not see you by your difficulty. Heaven already calls you by your destiny. It is not your destiny to stay stuck in a prison of pain. It is not your destiny to, to be held hostage like the children of Israel were in Egypt. 
God is going to bring you out. And if you have suffered any sort of sorrow, any kind of heartbreak, any kind of social injustice, or something that has held you back from God's highest prophetic purpose, know that God is going to use all of your pain to train for greatness and that God is calling you the way he called the nation of Israel in the furnace of affliction. He allowed them to go down into Mitzrayim. He allowed them to go down into Egypt for a purpose. You see, the nation of Israel was not born in the land of Canaan. The nation of Israel was birthed out in Egypt. And we must understand why. Because God told the great patriarch of old, Jacob, one of the three of vote, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God said to Jacob in the last exile of his life, in Genesis 46, verse 3, the Bible says that God said to Jacob, fear not to go down to Mitzrayim. Fear not to go down to Egypt, for there I will make of thee a great nation. What does it mean when the Almighty told Jacob, fear not to go down to Mitzrayim, for there I will make of thee a great nation? We must understand that this does not mean just a people that are multiplied and great, even though we know that there was miraculous multiplication in the midst of their tribulation, just as there shall be in your life. If you are going through a fiery furnace, if you are going through a time of testing, know that God is just forming you for your destiny and that you will also come forth with great substance. But here we see that the Lord says to Jacob, fear not to go down to Mitzrayim, for there I will make of thee a great nation. What does this mean? This means a people of greatness. This means that the people that were once called the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will now become a people of greatness a goy gadol, a people of greatness. They shall become a great nation. So what does this mean? We are going to see how in the furnace of affliction, how in trial and tribulation, that no, Pharaoh's lash did not dehumanize, even though he did traumatize, even though he brought them down to the lowest level. He could not take greatness out of them. Why? Because they were the people of God. And part of the redemption is not just leaving Mitzrayim, Egypt in a physical sense. When we go through the time of Passover, we must understand, beloved saints, that Egypt is not just a physical place, that Egypt also in the Hebrew language is a concept. The word for Egypt is the word Mitzrayim. And this word Mitzrayim is taken from two components. It is taken from the word Mitzar, which means narrow place. 
What does it mean to be in a narrow place, a place of restrictions, a place of tremendous sorrow, a place you cannot move, restrictions, you have a dream, you have a destiny, but you can't get out of the place of bondage, you're bound in the boundaries, you can't move out, why? Not because you don't want to move out, but because you're restricted, there's no opportunities No one has given you an opportunity. Let's look at the text so that we can understand what the Bible is teaching us in the slavery narrative as it introduces its emancipator, Moses. The Bible tells us, and all the souls, verse 5, that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased and multiplied. And the land was filled with them. Now, here we go with the destiny and the deliverance for destiny. Verse 8. And there arose a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. What does this mean? Is this just some newspaper flash? Flash, we have a new king. Flash, he doesn't know Joseph. He's just a got amnesia. He forgot what Joseph did for the land of Egypt. Is that what the Bible is telling us? Some king that now becomes great and somehow he doesn't know who Joseph is? Excuse me? We must understand he knows exactly who Joseph is. Joseph saved the land of Egypt and bought the entire territory for Pharaoh. He was the wisest businessman that ever lived in the land of Egypt. He was the son of Jacob. What does it mean? There arose a new king that knew not Joseph, someone who saved most of the world from famine. What do you mean they don't know Zaphnath Paneah? They definitely know who Joseph is. It's that he refused to recognize Joseph. The Bible wants to show us where Mitzrayim begins. Sometimes it begins in the dilemma when you have a dream, when you have a destiny, when you belong to a family and that family refuses to recognize who you are. It begins when you have a dream, when you have a destiny. And it's not because they think your dream is worthless. It's because they refuse to recognize and acknowledge your dream. You see, but you've got to hold on to that dream. You've got to hold on to that destiny. You cannot allow Whatever the enemy is putting on your life, no matter what type of tribulation, you cannot allow that tribulation to be a tool of manipulation that the enemy will try to rob you of your destiny. Hold on to your dream. Now watch and see what the enemy will do to try to rob you of your dream and what the enemy will do to try to give you a change in identity. You know, beloved people, the Bible wants to secure us in the names of the children of Israel so that we will know their true identity. But Pharaoh wants them to develop an identity that is not who they are. 
And oftentimes we need to know any abuser, any kind of an abuser that wants to pull you down in a place of pain, that wants to dehumanize, traumatize, bring you down to the lowest level will be one that is on an assignment to take your identity from you. But you have to hold on to that identity that God gave you. You have to hold on to that dream because your dream is your destiny and your dream and your destiny is part of who you are. It is the completion of who God called you to be in Christ. You cannot stay stuck in this prison of pain. God wants to bring you out. He wants to bring you through. Let's look at the word of God. The Bible tells us here that the scripture says, and he said to his people being Pharaoh in verse nine, behold, the children of Israel are more and mightier than we come on. Let us deal wisely with them lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there falls out any war, they will join also unto our enemies to fight against us and get us, get them up out of the land. I want to stop right here. Notice Pharaoh's objective. objective. His objective is Number one, we don't want them to fight. Do you see what programmatic pain does in our life? Programmatic pain, when it begins when we're a child, begins with rejection, begins with personal hurts. Someone betrayed you. Someone hurt you to the core. Programmatic pain. That type of pain that tells you this is who you are. You're not worth loving. You're not worth anything. You have to earn your place, not through the proving process of destiny, as the scripture shows us, but through backbreaking bondage. And you see, beloved, this programmatic pain, whether it's psychological, whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual, whatever it is wants you to lose your fight. Because you see, as long as you have fight, you can roll up your sleeves and say, devil, you're a liar. I'm going forward. You're not stopping me from my destiny. God has already called me to this. You see, Hannah, when Penina tortured her every day and showed her all of the seven children that Penina had and threw it up to Hannah that she had no children, Hannah still pressed her way into the presence of God. Hannah still pressed her way into a miracle. She knew something was down inside of her that even Penina, when she's taunting her and mocking her and saying, this is who you are. You're never going to have a child. Hannah said, I'm better than this. I know God's called me to great things. And I know that even though I'm barren, I feel that I'm a mother of someone who's called to greatness. I know that I can go forward and do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, beloved saints, let's look at the text. He set over them. Now, he set up a system, a social system that would take their fight away. 
What do you mean, Dr. Crowell, by taking their fight away? Number one, to take their fight away. And the scripture says, and get them up out of the land. Why doesn't the Bible just say, let them get out of the land? Why is there details here saying, get them up out of the land? Because Pharaoh did not want them to come up to the next level. Pharaoh wanted them to stay in a place that they lost their fight, that they lost their vision, they lost their dream, they lost their destiny, programmatic pain, a continual nonstop cycle. Every time they start to get out of it, it starts again. Every time they start to break out of the bondage, it starts again. You see, this is what Pharaoh has been set up to do. So the Bible says, lest they fight against us and get them up, out of the land. You see, Pharaoh had a fear. The fear of Pharaoh is that they would leave the land. What does that mean? That means that they would get out of the place that they did not belong, that they would get out of the place and go to the promised land, that they would get out of the place and walk into the land of promise, the place of promise, the place of prophecy, the place of destiny. Now let's continue in the context for one moment. The Bible says, therefore, they did set over them taskmasters who, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pithom and Ramses. We're going to close with this, but in a historical sense of scripture, I want to tell you what Pharaoh did, what his plan was. Was his plan just for them to get bricks and build cities? Quite on the contrary. Why don't we read the whole narrative together? And we will see that Pharaoh really had no intention on building the wealth of his kingdom. You say, oh, yes, pastor. Oh, yes, Dr. Corral. He was building the wealth of his kingdom. But if we notice in God's word, in the slavery narrative, in the Pharaoh narrative of Exodus 5, he takes away all of the straw so that they cannot make bricks so that they cannot have bricks to build with, that they have to make their own bricks and go and find the straw. Now, first of all, this is a very senseless type of suffering to put on the people if you want to build wealth. If you want to build wealth, you're going to maximize your workers and get the most out of them so that you can experience the increase. But we are seeing blatantly, Pharaoh has no shame. He is going to take away the straw and make them look for straw, delaying them the entire day so that at the night he can, uh, he can use the whip on their backs which definitely shows us his intention is not about building the wealth of Egypt. It's about belittling the people into bondage. It's about making them feel that they're never going to get out of this place, that they will constantly psychologically stay stuck in this spiritual Mitzrayim. And so, believe beloved people, this is why the Bible continues in the context. And the text teaches us, therefore, they did set over them task masters and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Petom and Ramses. Now I'm going to conclude with this. Petom and Ramses. Wow, great cities. But if we notice where they're located, let's look at this in an architectural sense. If you know an architect, an architect is going to first survey the land to see is the land suitable for building, 
for weight, for structures, for design of what is going to go up. Where actually is Pitom and Ramses? Some of us might think it's there near Giza, if you've ever been to Egypt. The place that's flat, that's nothing but miles and miles and miles under the earth of solid structure. Strong enough to hold a pyramid. Perhaps that's Pitom and Ramses. That would make sense. Build your structure on a ground that's solid enough to hold the structure. The Egyptians were not stupid. They knew exactly how to build their structures. So where is Pitom and Ramses? Where can we possibly build these treasure cities? If we look on the map, we will see that Pitom and Ramses are not in the solid structure of miles and miles and miles of solid rock under the earth, strong enough to hold the structures, strong enough to hold the pyramid. So where are Pitom and Ramses? In the Nile Delta. In the Nile Delta? Yes, in the marshland. This means that every time the B'nai Israel, the children of Israel went to build the bricks, went to build the structure, went to build under that back-breaking labor, that everything they would build, the moment they would build it, it would fall apart because you see, Pharaoh set them up for psychological, um, a psychological disappointment. They were under so much burden. They were under so much stress that Pharaoh psychologically set them out to go to Petom and Ramses so that what they built would fall apart. Beloved saints, when you are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, when he brings you out of Mitzrayim, and remember, every Passover is not just for commemoration. It is for impartation. God wants to break you out of your Mitzrayim. God wants to bring you forth out of your Egypt. He wants to bring you out of the narrow straits. He wants to bring you out from under the control of your Pharaoh. Today, we ask the Holy Spirit, pour out your anointing on us, Holy Spirit. We ask you to break the yoke, bring us out of our bondage and bring us into our destiny. In Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. Beloved, this is a continuing series for the next four weeks that we will have on the Moses miracle and on how God is going to bring divine compensation for all your devastation. Don't miss the teaching that is coming up week after week so that you can break out of your bondage. And today, beloved saints, if you have never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, I want to invite you that through grace, 
receiving him into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. He can wash away every sin. He can make you new. You, you know, beloved saints, the greatest miracle in the Bible. Yes, physical miracles are tremendous and they happen every single day. This is what Jesus called us to do. In the Great Commission, he said, in my name, they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We know we've been called to lay hands on the sick. But the greatest miracle of all miracles is a soul that is born again. Beloved, if you've never experienced passing from death unto life, you may be a wonderful Christian, a wonderful person born in a Christian home, gone to church your entire life, but never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Today, I want to invite you to do that. Would you say this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my personal savior. Wash me clean from my sin. I ask you, Lord, for deliverance. I ask you for liberation. I ask you to take every bit of sorrow, suffering, control from the pharaohs of my past. Lord, I want to become a new creation in Christ. Come into my heart. Be my savior. Wash me clean. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.